I don't usually like to talk about people, but today is going to be an exception. In fact, instead of a sermon this morning, I'm just going to talk about some people, some specific people. I mean, it's just going to be full-on gossip for about 15 minutes. (laughs) Just hold on. I want to start with George Costanza. On the uh, classic comedy sitcom Seinfeld, George is that one character that fails at everything. If you've watched this show, he fails at job searches, he fails with girlfriends and women, he fails to be a good son and a family member, oftentimes fails as a friend. One of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld is when George decides that in order to be successful, maybe what he needs to do is the absolute opposite of everything he initially thinks he should do. That if he's a failure at everything, maybe if he said the opposite of what he thought he was going to say or did the opposite of what he thought he was going to do, he would in fact be successful. And when he does the opposite, no matter how silly it is, no matter how rude it is, no matter how out of place it is, he gets the girl, he gets the job, he makes his family proud, but he just can't sustain it for very long, and so he stops. Just do the opposite. So several weeks ago, I went downtown and had lunch with Alice Cooper. This has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it sounded good. Several weeks ago, I went downtown and had lunch with Alice Cooper. That's the next person I'm going to talk about. Had a lot of wonderful moments during that lunch, talking about faith, talking about the future of the church and the world, talking about the future of First Baptist Greenville and how we might work together to do some good things here in Greenville and in the world. But probably the best moments of that whole lunch was when just a few, three or four fans who were in the restaurant saw us sitting over at the table talking, and they would come over to the table and say, Mr. Cooper, I I recognized you. I saw you from across the room and recognized you, and I know you're talking, but do you mind if I interrupt you and just get an autograph or a picture? And every time he said, not at all. I'm honored you recognized me. If you didn't recognize me, I wouldn't have a job. I couldn't make a living. I'm glad you recognized me. Come on over and take a picture. Of course, he's not a perfect person. He had shared with us about his own struggles with addiction and alcoholism. And even in those moments, he actually looked up and said, and this is my guitarist, Nita Strauss. And here, here's Jim. He's the bass player in the band. And this is, uh, this is Jenna Manning. She plays the drums. You want a picture of the whole band? He just lied to everybody. <laughs> But they took pictures with us, and we all looked like we were, yeah, we were rockers. In 1985, Cardinal John O'Connor was in Louisville, Kentucky. He's the next person I want to talk about. And uh, he happened to find his way walking across the campus of Southern Seminary where he was meeting with some colleagues there. A friend of mine and I were walking across the seminary campus, and we spotted him, and my friend just got overwhelmed and excited and uh, said, oh, that's, that's the cardinal. That's Cardinal John O'Connor. That's Cardinal O'Connor over there. He said, you want to go meet him? Let's go meet him. Let's go meet John O'Connor. And so we, we, we walked over. My friend was overly excited, and he walked up, and instead of asking a question, he just said, you're Cardinal John O'Connor. <laughs> to which Cardinal O'Connor said, I'm just a man. My name is John. I happen to be a cardinal. He's not a perfect person either. In fact, he disappointed many of us with chapters of his life. And yet, in that moment, he chatted for a moment with two young theologians, and then he he walked on. 
I graduated from that seminary and had an interview as the, to be the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Marietta. The church flew me down to Marietta and took me to the home of a very wealthy businessman whose name was Charles. We'll talk about Charles next. Charles and his uh, wife ushered me to a private suite in their home with a wonderful private bath area and said this is where I would spend Saturday night before the interviews and the experience of First Baptist Marietta the next morning. I slept wonderfully well that night. I woke up the next morning, got up to get dressed, and my shoes, I've told you this before, my shoes were sitting at the edge of the bed polished for me. Uh, I didn't know what to do or what to say, but I went down for breakfast, and sitting at the breakfast table, I said, uh, Charles, I'm not sure what to say. I'm not even sure how to thank you for this, but my shoes were polished and sitting by the bed. He said, oh, anytime we have house guests in our home, I always polish their shoes before I go to bed at night. He said, I, I polish them, and I pray for them while I'm polishing them and do them that small gift and favor because it's a gift for me to you, for you to be in my home. Thank you for being here. That's Charles. A few weeks ago, we dedicated our new Steinway piano. Dr. Robert Blocker was with us. I'm going to talk about him for a minute. He played during the service and a dedicatory recital afterwards. He's the dean of the School of Music at Yale University. He has a resume of credentials and awards a mile long. I shared at the end of that service that he and I and some others had had dinner together the night before truly had a delightful time sharing with each other stories and insights and opinions. He's an extremely talented man, extremely intelligent, very kind man. At the end of the evening, we were getting up to leave, and I kind of referenced this that day, didn't tell you the whole story. I, I said to him, Robert, I really enjoyed our chat tonight. In fact, you are really a nice guy, and you never know with musicians. Anytime I'm going to meet a musician, I know it could go either way. What I didn't tell you was, he smiled and said, I feel the same way about preachers. <laughs> you know, I've discovered something about myself talking about all these people this morning, thinking about them this week. I really enjoy spending time with people who have every reason to be full of themselves, but they aren't. I really enjoy spending time with people who have every reason to be full of themselves. They've got resumes a mile long and accomplishments a mile long, but they aren't. They are just the opposite. Which leads me to God. Uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 is cross-stitched on I don't know how many walls and how many homes in the United States. It's underlined in almost every Bible. It was the theme of last year's Children's Mission and VBS camp, I think. It's a favorite verse of a lot of people. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? It's a meaningful verse at face value, but you put it in its context and the meaning heightens and deepens. You ever thought about the context of that verse? The book of Micah, go back and read from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6, the book of Micah is a courtroom scene. It's a courtroom. 
And in this courtroom, in this prophetic courtroom drama that Micah is writing, if you read it closely, you're going to find, read closely, God is the judge and the jury and the prosecuting attorney. I want you to let that slip in and sink in for just a minute. In the book of Micah, God is the judge, the jury, and the prosecuting attorney. Now, if you're like me, you're immediately thinking, that's not fair. That whole trial is stacked against us. I mean, if God's the judge and the jury and the prosecutor, it's just not fair. That's right, it's just not fair. But that, that's the beauty of the book. It's the beauty of this verse. You see, with God as our judge and our jury and our prosecuting attorney, it's not fair, but it's not stacked against us. It's stacked in favor of us. You're right, it's not fair. If it had been a fair trial, Israel would have been damned. If it had been a fair trial, Babylon and Assyria would have been damned. If it's a fair trial, you and I get damned. But with God as the judge and the jury and the prosecuting attorney, Micah says the trial is stacked in your favor. It's the opposite of what you expect. There is going to be redemption and salvation for everybody involved, and you're going to get a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a fiftieth chance You see, our definition of justice is to be fair and give people what they deserve. At least give them what they deserve. Not necessarily give me what I deserve, but give them what they deserve. That's the way we think of justice. But having been to God's court, we know God's justice. In fact, the word in Hebrew is mishpat. Say that with me. Mishpat. And it doesn't mean to be fair. It means justice as God is just. It's God's justice. When we experience God's justice and God's mercy, we do walk humbly with God. Because it's not fair. It's bent in our favor. And of course, then there's Jesus, since we're talking about people, who taught us early in his ministry, do the opposite of what is expected. Your culture is going to teach you to be rich and be happy and be full and be fair and be strong and be winners and don't take nothing off anybody. Okay, don't take nothing off nobody. Let's just stay with it. Jesus, do the opposite. Blessed are those who are poor and who've mourned and hunger, and are meek, and are peacemakers, and who grieve at persecution. In fact, Jesus did the opposite of what was expected, healed on the Sabbath day, touched lepers rather than avoided them, ate with tax collectors and sinners, chatted up Samaritans. In fact, this whole contrarian way of living and being was the sum of Jesus' life. Not just what he said and what he did, but it was the sum of Jesus' identity. Listen to how Paul describes it in the book of Philippians. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but emptied himself into the form of a servant. Jesus had every reason to be full of himself, but he wasn't. 
He did the opposite. Jesus, God, Robert Blocker, Charles, Cardinal O'Connor, Alice Cooper, George Costanza. Like I said, I, I don't usually talk about people, but I wanted to talk about them today, just full on gossip. And outside of God and Jesus, the rest of them are not perfect, I know. But at least in a few moments when I was with them, they lived contrary to what people might have expected. And I am particularly grateful that God and Jesus live contrary to what we oftentimes expect of God. So today it's very simple. I want to invite you to do the same. This is my challenge to you today. It's Micah's challenge, and it's Jesus' challenge. Live contrary to the attitudes of our society. It's Foundation Sunday. In a society of instant gratification, many are concerned only with self, and now share what you have for the future and for the generations that come after you. We read the Beatitudes. In a society where rudeness and incivility have become the new norm, be a kingdom of God person, where peace and purity and patience and meekness and kindness and hungering and fighting for the good and grieving over injustice is your norm. We heard Micah's call to justice and mercy and humility. In a society where we are quick to judge others, point fingers, call names, and assign labels, remember God's justice in your life and God's mercy in your life and walk humbly with God and with each other. Let's pray together. Loving God, help us to be and do the opposite of where our nature often drives us, where your nature calls us. Bless us this morning with the the sense of and the filling of your Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to live as your people in your kingdom, even as we move among those who may not even have a sense of that kingdom. Bless us today that we might unite our life with your church and kingdom and be contrary in the way we live our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of decision this morning is hymn number 221, Be Thou My Vision. I invite you, if you would like to be a member of this worshiping and working congregation, to come forward during the singing of this hymn. I will be standing at the front to meet you. And you may unite with this church by baptism if you've never been baptized or if you have been baptized in any other faith tradition. Uh, We welcome and affirm that baptism if you do and welcome you into this community of faith. Let's stand together now, sing and respond as God's Spirit leads us.